taken from Second uh, Kings. You can follow along uh, in your bulletin. We filled up half the bulletin with the scripture passage this week. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you could follow along as well or on the screen. Second uh, Kings, I'm going to be reading uh, from chapter 4, uh, verses 8 uh, through 37. All right. One day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. One day he came there and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. And he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived, and she bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha had said to her. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. She said, all is well. Then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there is the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her and say to her, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, all is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet him, and if anyone greets you, do not reply, and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house... He saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. 
Then he went and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house, and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call the Shumanite. So he called her, and when she came to him... He said, pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for stories like these in the scriptures, Lord. Help us to see them not just as uh, unique or interesting stories, but stories that, that desperately speak to the message of the gospel that we so desperately need to hear even this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us uh, the past couple weeks, you know we've been uh, looking at stories related to the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha in the books of uh, First and Second Kings in the first half of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, these people, these uh, prophets were the voice of God for the, the people of God. They would receive a message from God and then be responsible to share that message to God's people. You see the prophets uh, interacting with, with kings and military leaders. You see them involved in, in big events that happen uh, on national scales for all to see. And, and the effect of all these stories of these prophets is to, to kind of give us a wide lens picture of God's activity in time and in history, his activity on the world stage for everyone to see. But like a camera that that zooms out and then zooms back in, the book also shows us this kind of narrow lens of of God's activity. It gives us these kind of interesting or heartfelt or unique stories about how God shows up uh, personally in very unlikely places and often to very unlikely people. And it reminds us that there really is a cosmic dimension to God's activity, but there is also a very personal and intimate dimension to his activity as well. And this story in particular is a story of God's presence in the life of just really one particular woman and her family. And what we find is that her life and her up and down relationship with the presence of God uh, was certainly a challenging one for her at times but also a joyful one as well. Uh, A few years ago, uh, if you remember, if you were living in Baltimore at the time, uh, the Ravens were uh, on a a run that would eventually wind up winning them the Super Bowl. And uh, I can't remember whether it was the AFC championship or the the divisional championship. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, they were in Denver uh, for a game that uh, most Ravens fans will remember for the rest of their life. In fact, they often call this game uh, the Mile High Miracle. And if you remember that game, if you saw it, uh, I remember personally, I was watching it and thinking, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game. And then a minute later, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And then a minute later, we're going to lose this game. We're going to lose this game. And in the last few seconds, Joe Flacco throws a a 70-yard pass uh, to Jacoby Jones, and he catches it, and they win the game. And ever since then, it's been called the Mile High Miracle. 
Now, I remember that game for how amazing of a game it was, but I also remember how exhausted I was after that game. I didn't play in the game. I wasn't even at the stadium, but I was exhausted just from watching this game because the, watching the game was, was just a roller coaster ride of emotion. Maybe if you're not a Ravens fan, you know this from some other uh, uh, team you root for. Well, the story that we read about today is kind of like that. It is a heart-wrenching roller coaster of emotion for one particular woman and how she felt about the presence of God in her life. It talks about her interactions with the prophet Elisha and, and how that ended up informing her picture of what the presence of God meant in her life. And as we look at it, I think we see three things that the presence of God brings to this narrative, especially to this woman, and really what our response even today ought to be to the presence of God. And the first thing that we learn about his presence is that the presence of God brings hope out of hopelessness. It says in verse 16, uh, the, the prophet Elijah speaking, and he said, at this season, about the time, this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring, as Elisha said to her. So the story tells us about this, this Shunammite woman uh, who was well-to-do. If you read the passage just before it, there's a story about Elisha performing a, a miraculous uh, event for a poor woman. And then the narrative moves to this woman who is wealthy. She was well-to-do. And it tells us that she took a particular interest in caring for the prophet Elisha. She showed him a, a unique concern and a unique sense of hospitality. She prepared for him food and she made shelter for him. And she was so generous towards him that, that Elisha wanted to find a way to bless her for her kindness and for her hospitality. What we learn in the story is that the woman and her husband, though they are wealthy, uh, they were without children. They didn't have any children. And no doubt this would have been uh, an incredible source of, of sadness for them at this particular place in their life because they would have uh, no children, no child to be the heir or to carry on uh, all the, the, the wealth that they'd had. And to be without child was, was particularly challenging in the ancient culture. Many in the ancient culture believed that if you were unable to bear a child, if you were unable to bear in particular a male heir, then you would be looked down upon culturally. Many would believe that, that you uh, were receiving the, the lack of favor from the gods or in fact the gods were, were actually punishing you by not providing a male heir for you. Well, this woman and her husband had basically accepted the fact that they would not have a child and they would not have any sort of heir to their wealth, that they would just have to deal with this cultural stigma for the rest of their lives. And they had pretty much moved on. They had passed the years of childbirth and figured that that was just something that wasn't going to happen. They'd given up hope and they'd accepted it and they had moved on. And then the prophet comes to them and says to them, within a year, you will embrace a son. 
And the narrative quickly tells us that all this came true. Within a year, they miraculously had been given a son by the hand of God. And what was, so, what was shown to them and what is shown to us is that God often, his presence, brings hope to our hopelessness. I don't know about you, but, but many of us come to places where we become so hopeless about a circumstance or a situation that we just come to believe that it's never going to change. We come to a place of, of just passive acceptance that, that this is just the way it is and that we just need to simply accept it and move on. We come to a place where really we let go of any sort of hope that things can change. Think about Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and the provision of John the Baptist. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Sarah had certainly get let go of hope. She even laughed when the angel told her that she was going to have a child. And yet, just years later, Isaac was born. And John the Baptist was born. And now we see a child born to the Shunammite woman. All these our stories, they're reminders to us that we ought never let go of hope when God is in the picture. It's a reminder to us that the presence of God brings hope. It brings hope. But it also brings to us joy. The second thing we see is that the presence of God brings joy out of distress. Sadly, the story was, was not over for this woman. In fact, the roller coaster of emotions was about to begin for her. We read in verse 18 that when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him into his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon. And then he died. You see, this woman's hopelessness had been overcome and she had been filled with joy upon having a child. The impossible was made reality right in front of her. Every day she would embrace this child and think of the miracle that God had blessed her with in her midst. And then the unthinkable happens. Her child ends up dying while lying in her lap. Friends, I can think of no greater pain in life than the loss of a child. When you have a child, you always expect that child to outlive you, and you never expect their life to be cut short. For You never expect for, for nature to be reversed and to have that child die prematurely, and then to have to experience that must be one of the greatest pains of all in life. There's just something so kind of visceral or, or gut difficult about the death of a child. Having been in ministry for, for 16 years, I've attended countless amounts of funerals. And you always expect the funerals. You walk into the church and, and you see a coffin up there and we all know the procedure of what funerals like. But some of the most difficult moments are when you walk into that church and you see a coffin that is much smaller than you expect because there is a child inside. There's something just incredibly painful and distressing about it. You feel at your gut level that this just isn't the way it is supposed to be. And certainly this woman had to ex be experiencing that grief in its most profound way. But in her distress, 
the passage tells us that, that instead of just accepting it, she sprung into action. She couldn't just move on like she'd had before. She had to act. And she had to believe that if her hopes were realized once before in the presence of God, maybe it could happen again. Could the miraculous come again in my life and story? So she immediately calls for her servant. She calls for a donkey and she travels 20 miles to find the man of God who is at Mount Carmel. And of course we know from the story, as a result of the presence of God, her joy, she experienced joy initially and that joy had turned into a profound distress and now once again she has given birth to an even greater sense of joy. When her son is restored to her. You see the presence of God. Brings joy out of distress. But we also see that the presence of God. Brings life out of death. Says in the passage. The child sneezed seven times. I have no idea why that says that. Why seven times? I don't know. But the child opened his eyes, verse 36, and then he summoned Gehazi and said, call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. You see, the prophet Elisha, he returned back to Shunam with this woman, and he goes up to the child, and he restores this little boy back to life. And no one who was there thought that the power came from Elisha or because there was anything unique about him. Everyone observed this happening and realized that the power for these things comes only from the presence of God in their midst. The presence of God brings life out of death. You see, this story is full of all sorts of ups and downs. But it isn't just an ancient story, it is also a picture of our story or the story of the gospel as well. Because the gospel message itself has its own narrative arc, its own kind of up and down story to it. Because the gospel tells us that God had created the world as a place of peace and joy and perfection. But shortly thereafter, the world was cast into distress through the entrance of sin and pain and death. But what the gospel tells us, that even a greater joy, even a greater joy is discovered through redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel story centers around the death of another son. It tells us that that God knows what it's like to lose a son because Jesus was God's own son who came to this earth to sacrifice himself for us. He was the ultimate son who was born to die. And what the gospel tells us is that we were hopeless, but he came to provide hope. We were in distress. Sin had condemned us before God. It had made it put us in a state where we were unable to earn our way back, into, back to him. But in our distress... He meets us with joy because we were in a state of spiritual death and he came to provide for us life. So the question becomes, if all this is true, not just about this story, but about the gospel, if all this is true, then how should we as people respond? 
Well, we should respond just as the woman in this story did. Because we see her response was to cling to the presence of God. Just as we are to cling to the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Verse 27, and when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone for she is in bitter distress. The Lord has hidden from me and has not told me. You see, when this child died, the Shunammite, she, this woman rushed into action. No os- obstacle was going to get in the way to her finding her way into the presence of God. In her desperation, she had to find the prophet. So she sets out on this long journey. When she arrives, she may have been a little deceptive in order to, to get as quickly as she could into the presence of God, into Elisha's presence. And when she found him, she fell at her feet and she grabbed his and she wouldn't let go. She wouldn't even let Elisha out of her sight until he followed her all the way back home. You see, in her most powerful moment of desperation, she clung to the presence of God. And friends, this is the gospel way. The gospel doesn't tell us to approach God with our resume It doesn't tell us to approach God with a solid argument about why he should let us into heaven or why he should bless us. It calls us to approach God in desperation. Because when we approach God in desperation, only then will we experience hope in our hopelessness. Only then will we experience joy in our distress. Only then will we experience life from death. Martin Luther uh, wrote in Bondage of the Will, he said this. He said, I myself have been offended more than once. Nay, so far as even to wish that I had never been born a man. That is, before I was brought to know how healthful that desperation was and how near it was to God's grace. You see, in the Old Testament, the presence of God was found in the prophets. But all of those prophets spoke about a greater prophet who would ultimately come. And and this prophet who would ultimately come would be the embodiment of the presence of God. He would be the ultimate expression of the presence of God here on earth. And Hebrews says of Jesus that he is the radiance of the glory of God the exact imprint of his nature. Friends, the presence of God was made perfect in the person of Jesus Christ. God himself came, he took on skin, he dwelt among us, and he sacrificed himself, gaining victory over death. There's this beautiful section right after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And uh, two of the first people to find Jesus after he had resurrected from the dead was two of his closest friends. Both of them were named Mary. And you know what Matthew 28, 9 says was their response when they saw Jesus for the first time. It says they fell at their knees, they grabbed his feet, and they wouldn't let go. And they worshipped him. Friends, the gospel tells us to do the very same thing.
to cling to Jesus in faith. And when you do, when I do, we experience the restoration of our souls. It is the only way to find true hope, the only way to find true joy, the only way to find true life. Let's pray.